Oh, well, amen. Let's take our Bibles and go to the book of Amos, chapter number 7. And so I'm going to give you plenty of time to find that. Hosea, Joe, Amos, there in the Minor Prophets. And before I get into my message today, I was just reminded of how important mothers are. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Forbes magazine in 2011 estimated the annual salary of a mother should be north of $160,000 a year. How many of y'all ladies would like to quit your jobs and make $160,000 a year? And for the following services, a nurse, that is a professional boo-boo fixer, scraper, soother, magical bruise healer. Number two, cleaning service, putting away toys, constant crumb vacuumer, tornado fixer, face wiper, dishwasher, chef, a gourmet cook, a chef sous, chef combo, waitress, snack maker, walking Pinterest meal board, pizzeria chef. She is a referee, a.k.a. AKA fight breaker upper, mediator, tantrum, tantrum tamer. She is a personal assistant making appointments. She's a play date scheduler, event planner, task manager. She's a teacher helping kids with homework, uh, being an example of, a living, of living a moral life, explainer of right and wrong. She's a meal planner, grocery shopper, uh, ingredient investigator, recipe reader, cookbook. She is a chauffeur, a.k.a. a seat belt buckler. I got to tell you right now, listen, you guys ought to get a raise just for trying to strap kids in the car seats. Actually, it's strapping the car seat in the car. Nothing makes me more angry and more prone to say something I shouldn't say than trying to, y'all know what I'm talking about, snap a car seat in and trying to make sure it's tight enough uh, or safe enough, or, or as I found on a few occasions, just forgot to buckle the whole thing in, period. So we're glad that there was no accident that day. Mom's also a life coach. Uh, she's an amateur child psychologist. She's a therapist. Uh, she's the girlfriend they need uh, when their teenage daughters need to vent. She's a classroom parent, class vo uh, volunteer, bringer of snacks, organizer of events. She's an organizer of toys, schedules, basically of everybody's lives. She's a personal stylist. Outfit planner, personal shopper. She's a chief financial officer, often paying the bills, buying what is needed. She's an entertainer, singer, performer, actress, lullaby soother, magician, their own personal audiobook. She is a handy woman, fixer of all things, toy assembler, puzzle doer. She's a psychic that is reader of minds, guesser of needs, predictor of the future. She is a sleep coach. A nap negotiator, monster slayer, nighttime soother, and here's my favorite, she's a pooping doula. <laughs> a professional rear-end wiper. So anyways, <laughs> and that's only half the list, okay? What a job and way to go. And make sure that you uh, say Happy Mother's Day to your mothers. And from River City Baptist Church, thank you for all that you do. I'm a little unorthodox, so forgive what I'm getting ready to do, and that is I don't usually stop what I'm doing in my preaching to uh, like highlight every special uh, event, so I'm actually in a series of messages that have nothing to do with Mother's Day, okay, but we really do love you, and we're really excited, and I hope that your kids take you out to somewhere awesome to eat after church, okay? But right now, what we're going to do is we're going to take this time, and we're going to continue in our series of messages on the Minor Prophets. It's a series of books in the Old Testament. It's, in fact, the last 12 books of the Old Testament. Probably the portion of the Bible that most people know very little about. It starts with Hosea and goes all the way to Malachi. 
And they're called the minor prophets because their messages are shorter in length. Not that their messages aren't important, but that their messages are shorter. And today we come to a prophet by the name of Amos. And I'm going to do something even a little bit different with this prophet. Because there's something unusual about this prophet that's not in any other prophets with the exception of Hosea and Jonah. And that is, we are given some insight into a little biographical story of Amos. So let me back up here. Most of the prophets are sermons. In fact, most of Amos is sermons, or uh, it contains sermons. But there's one little section in chapter 7 that I'm going to read in just a moment to set up the real heart of the message that I want to get across today. But before we get started in that, I want to I propose to you what Amos is really talking about here. Now, according to chapter 1, verse 1, Amos lived during Uzziah of Judah, that's a king, and Jeroboam II of Israel, also a king. And he was from a little farming town called Tekoa, uh, and it's pronounced the same as a little town up in northeast Georgia, Tekoa Falls. So T-E-K-O-A, Tekoa. Tekoa is about 12 miles south of Jerusalem. It's a little farming community, which is fitting. Because Amos was a farmer. And the Bible tells us that he was actually a, a farmer and he was also a shepherd or a herdsman. And the Bible says that God is going to call Amos from the south, south, of, south in Judah, to go proclaim the message of prophecy to Israel in the north. Now Israel was very unique in that Israel, uh, after the king, when Solomon, after Solomon was king... There were no good kings in Israel. None, not one. In fact, uh, they were destroyed in 722 B.C. by the Assyrians, 150 years before Judah fell in 586 B.C. So you can see the judgment of God was basically expedited on Israel because they so turned their back against God. So God called this country uh, farmer boy out to Israel in the most uh, uh, monetarily and politically... Uh, wealthy part of Israel's history. So a country boy, th this would be like, this would be similar to somebody from McClenny going and preaching in New York City. Okay, that's about the kind of comparison I've got here, okay? And so uh, Amos goes to Israel and he's going to preach to them for nine chapters. And let me tell you the basic message that Amos gives them. The basic message is, you guys are so wealthy and you are so comfortable that you have actually turned and used your wealth as a means to oppress the poor and the needy rather than helping the poor and the needy. The, the central theme of Amos' message is this, justice. Now why should Christians be concerned about justice? The answer is because God is concerned about justice. Meaning God is concerned about what is right. Guys, we should concern ourselves with what is right. And, and in, in Amos' message, predominantly, the message is about, look, you guys have used your position of affluence to serve yourself rather than serve others. In fact, one of the most famous verses in the book of Amos is in chapter 5, uh, when it talks about let justice roll, which was a famous sermon, uh, famous message used uh, in the civil rights movement in the 1960s. Uh, by Martin Luther King Jr. It was about, about justice, about things being right, things that are wrong being corrected. And Amos is telling these people, listen, if you're a follower of God, 
You should believe in what is right. You should believe in what is just. You should want things to be executed right and properly. And so for nine chapters, Amos has this message. Chapters 1 and 2, he lays an indictment to Judah and Israel compared to all the other nations. Then in chapters 4 through 6, uh, he, he focuses in on Israel specifically. And then in chapters 7 through 9, he gives us five illustrations of what this judgment is going to be like. It's going to be like ripened fruit getting harvest. It's going to be like holding a plumb line up against something that is crooked. It is going to be like a locust plague, similar to what we learned last week. And, and, and several other illustrations that he uses as like sermon illustrations to teach people what's going on. It is a powerful book, but I'm not going to talk so much about the book today. I want to talk about the man. Because there's something about this guy in this story that's very unique, and that is the Bible tells us about a, a situation that happened in his life, which is very unusual. Most of the time, it's just the word of the Lord came to this guy, and he begins to preach. But in, in Amos chapter 7... We hear a little bit about this man's life. So let's begin reading in verse number 10. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be led away captive from their own land. Then Amaziah said to Amos. So this guy Amaziah has just spoken to the king. Evidently the king has told him, hey, go, go tell the guy to quit preaching, right? So now, uh, now Amaziah is going to come to Amos. Verse 12. Go, you seer, flee to the land of Judah. There eat bread and there prophesy. In other words, go home. We don't want you here. Verse 13, but never again prophesy at Bethel. Now Bethel, if you study this in 2 Kings 14, Bethel was a, was a, was a place where, where, where literal idolatry took place. It was a, a mock-up chapel. It was a mock-up temple. These people were worshiping false gods and sacrificing the false gods. And Amos walks right in to their false temple and starts preaching about what's going wrong. How many of you like this guy already? I mean, this is, a, this is a bold man of God right here. Now look at what it says in verse 14. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor was I the son of a prophet, but I was a sheep herder and a tender of sycamore fruit. Then the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Now, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel, and do not spout against the house of Israel. Therefore, thus says the Lord. Amen. I want to speak to you on this subject this morning, a previous engagement. A previous engagement. We live by calendars. Have you ever said to yourself, I don't have time for that? That's actually never true. Everybody has the exact same amount of time. But the difference is, is that we fill our calendars with what our priorities are. So it's work, it's family, it's church, I hope, and other various responsibilities. And then when another opportunity comes your way... You might be asked to do something, you might be asked to participate in something, you might be asked to go on an outing, 
and you'll look at your calendar and you'll basically say something like this, I can't do that, I'm already covered up. I'm previously committed. I have a previous engagement. That's really exactly what Amos says to Amaziah when Amaziah tries to get Amos to go home and stop preaching. Basically he says, look, I can't do that. I'm already covered up here. In fact, he says, I love the phrase here. He says in, uh, he, he says in verse uh, 15, the Lord took me as I followed the flock. It's almost like a guy asking a girl out to prom and she says, sorry, I'm taken. I, I can't do what you're asking me to do. I, I, can't, I can't go where you're asking me to go. I can't follow through with what you're encouraging me to do. Why? I've already got something I'm committed to. Now, folks, what Amos has just declared to Amaziah is that he is so committed to the Lord, watch this now, that he would not let anything stop him from doing what God had called him to do. May I say this to you today? Is that not the spirit that we need in our lives today in the 21st century? I am going to do what God has called me to do, and I do not have time, space, or energy to diverge myself and involve myself in other things that don't matter nearly as much to me as what God has already called me to do. May God raise up the spirit of Amos in all of us. How do you get to this place? How do you get to this place in your life where the only thing that really matters to you is Jesus and what Jesus wants you to do? How do you get there? Well, Amos shares with us really three lessons that we can all learn about our lives in which we should, we should tend to if we want to be like this. I mean, I, I see you all shaking your head. Is there anybody in this room that doesn't admire Amos yet? Well, how'd he get there? Number one, he was unquestioned in his call. He was unquestioned in his call. He knew that God had called him into the ministry. Now watch this. This is interesting because Amos, or excuse me, Amos was not a seminary-trained daddy-called preacher. I had the privilege of going out fishing on Tuesday offshore. Me and Pastor Aaron were able to go with a couple guys from the Mayport campus and we had an absolute blast. I caught a 300-pound shark, folks. And let me tell you something. Uh, that was literally the ride of a lifetime, okay? And I, I'm still physically recovering from I'm not kidding. It about wrecked me. And, and it, the, the funniest moment, I got it on video. I am reeling in this shark. Pastor Aaron's over there videoing. And the guy that we went with, his name's Jack, an old Mayport guy, lifelong Mayport guy, rough dude. He, I am in the middle of reeling this giant fish in, and, uh, and Jack looks at Aaron and goes, I ain't never heard of two preachers going to school to become preachers. He said, most of the preachers I know, uh, they were in jail first. <laughs> I, started, I started cracking up, almost lost the pole. It was great. It was great. You know, it's a preacher goes to school. I did, but I didn't go to school because I looked like, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a job fair in high school. And said, so, oh, that sounds like a great idea. I want to speak in public every day, every week of my life, which is something that like 90% of people are completely terrified of. Most people would rather die than do what I'm doing right now. Not only that, the lovely people that you get to work with all the time. Never mind. <laughs> you all know this has got potential to be a really challenging career. It does. Bottom line. 
So why would anybody do it? The answer is you're called. This is not a profession to me. And it certainly wasn't a profession to Amos. I mean, if it was just about dollars and cents, if it was just about uh, how, how can I get the next uh, notch up on my belt, how can I make the next uh, raise level in the corporation, then nobody would ever do this. But here's what Amos says. Look, he said, I got to tell you, here's why I'm not going to do what you're asking me to do. I want you to know I didn't grow up in seminary. My dad wasn't a preacher. My grandpa wasn't a preacher. He said, here's what I was. I grew up on a farm, buddy. I grew up on a farm, and I, we were gathering sycamore fruit, and I was a herdsman to cattle and sheep. And he said, while I was out there doing my job in, a, in no doubt a family business that was mine for the taking when this is all done, God came to me, and God snatched me, and God spoke to me and told me, I want you to go, and I want you to preach the Bible in Israel. How about this? God called a layman to become a preacher. Well, I wonder if he still does that today. I wonder if he hunkers down in somebody's heart from time to time and says, I don't want you doing that anymore. I want you preaching the word of God. Wait a second, I'm not, man, I, I didn't go to school for this. I have no idea what I'm doing here. You know what? God still calls people in the ministry. And I got to tell you, there's a vision that we have specifically for this place. And I'm thankful for these crowds that God keeps bringing. I'm thankful that it keeps growing. I'm thankful that every week people are being saved and baptized and joining this church. I'm thankful for all that. But a church is not measured by its seating capacity. A church is measured by its sending capacity. A church that is doing things right is seeing people saved, seeing people trained, seeing people decided, and seeing people go off and serve God with their lives. It may be here in this church, it may be in another church in town, it may be as a missionary as we've seen done before, but God does call men and women into the ministry. Can I ask you a question? Is God calling you? Let me ask you a better question. Are you open? To God calling you. Lord have mercy. He just did. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Let me say this to you. You know you do not have to cross the sea to become a missionary. Do you know that? Being involved in ministry is not necessarily always have to be a vocational thing. Every single person in this room that is a Christian, you are, you are already a missionary. You're either, in fact, a missionary or a mission field. And God call, has called all of us to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, to make his name famous, to follow his purpose. But I can't help but say to you that Isaiah heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. There's the spirit. God's calling me, I will go. In fact, Paul said it like this, if I preach the gospel, this gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. So number one, the reason Amos was able to do what he did is because he understood he was called and nobody was going to take that away from him. Number two, I want you to see this is powerful. He was unmoved from his convictions. 
The word conviction is something that I'm, I literally am willing to give my life for. I'm so committed to it. I'm so convinced of it that I will refuse to let anybody take me away from that. Let me ask you a question. Do you have any convictions in your life? If you're a Christian, you should have some convictions in your life. There should be some things that you believe, that we believe, that are not up for debate. They're not up for sale. They're not up for negotiation. We're Christians, people. We believe the Bible. And Amos says, look, man, listen, I know what you're saying. You're saying, you're saying don't preach here and don't preach this here. And, and listen, but I, I got to tell you, man, I, I, I am here because God called me here and I have the conviction that I'm going to stay here. In fact, look at verse 12. Amaziah said to Amos, look at this phrase here, go you, look at this word, seer. That's an interesting word. It's, a, it's one of the three words used in the Old Testament for a preacher. One was prophet, one was man of God, and the other is seer. Now, this word, I love this. This word, think of it like this. Seer means he sees things from God's perspective. So what does Amaziah say? Amaziah said, look, you're always up here talking about what God says. Look, we're good. And, and, and Amos is saying, look, I can't, I can't veer off of what God said. So he finishes this conversation by preaching his next sermon. Look, I'm not going to stop. What you're asked to be doing, because, because I'm not going to stop doing what you want me to stop doing, because it's in fact what God wants me to do. He wants me to see things his way. Guys, i got to tell you, in this day and age, could there ever be a time where Christians need to see things God's way than right here and right now? I cannot believe the kinds of things I hear our young people talking about, thinking about, articulating out loud. Guys, listen. We, we should believe the Bible, and I know that you live in a world that does not believe the Bible. In fact, you live in a world right now where probably in the next 20 years in America, the most hated thing you could ever be is a Christian. Somebody that actually believes the Bible. Somebody that actually believes that marriage is defined by God and not by a society. A, 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 a world that believes that a marginalized, small, fraction population of people must define everything for everybody. And if you don't believe that, your convictions are going to get stomped on. And church, I'm here to tell you, you better start owning some convictions. I think of the convictions of Eric Little. Think, think about how significant his convictions were. If you've seen Chariots of Fire, the old Chariots of Fire movie, you know the story of Eric Little. Eric Little was labeled the fastest man in Scotland. He was the Scottish representative uh, in, in the Olympic Games. I believe it was 1904. I didn't write down the reference. But in 1904, uh, in the Paris Olympics, he goes to the Paris Olympics to represent Scotland with a chance to win the gold medal in the 100-meter dash. He gets there only to find out that his time trials for the race were held on Sunday. Now believe this. I know this is going to be a shockwave. It used to be that Christians believed that Sunday was the Lord's day. I figured I'd get about three amens on that. It used to be that Christians actually believed that Sunday was for God. So strongly Eric Little believed this that he decided not to run his qualifying heat of 100 meters and was disqualified from the medal race and went to church instead of the race. 
his coach found a way to enable him to still be able to run in a different race, 400 meters instead of 100 meters, which is obviously four times what he had trained for. He was not obviously nearly ready for this, but he agreed. He somehow made it into the medal race, went through the qualifying heats all the way to the medal race, and on that starting block, just before the gun went off, a man slipped down from the audience and walked up to Eric Little and handed him a folded up piece of paper to which Eric had time to read it, and it said these words from 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30, them that honor me, I will honor. And he folded that piece of paper up in his hand and hit the starting block, and the gun went off. Eric took off around the, that track, made it all the way to the fourth and final turn, was in the race, and down that final stretch across the finish line, Eric Little won the gold medal that day. A man of conviction, a man, by the way, who later went to China as a missionary and served out his life as a missionary. You don't become a missionary before, first of all, you have some convictions in your life about what is right and is wrong. And I, I'm not here to, to make anybody feel bad about Sunday. The point of this, the point of this illustration is not whether Sunday is what it is or what it is. The point is, for crying out loud, believe something, and if you believe it, hang on to it, and don't let anybody, cultural, family, or anybody for that matter, take it away from you. He had a conviction. He believed it, and he held on to it. He was called. He had a conviction. Listen to this, number three. He was unattached to the comforts. Watch, watch this, very interesting. Look, look, at, look at verse 12 again. Amaziah said to Amos, go you seer, flee to the land of Judah. Watch this. There eat bread. You know what he was threatening him about? We're going to quit feeding you. This man was ministering in an uncomfortable, unwanted, and unrewarded ministry. He, nobody wants him there. In fact, the society around him, as I mentioned before, was, was, was the most prosperous of Israel's day. And, and, and you, can, you can look that up in 1 Kings uh, chapter number 14 and 1 Kings chapter number 12. And you will find uh, uh, just how significant the, the prosperity of this group of people was. Now, let me just make a statement here, if I will. Amos is threatened over his livelihood. You keep preaching like that, we're going to cut your resources off. And guess what? That didn't stop this guy from preaching. You know what that means? He didn't care about that stuff. By the way, Israel's financial and political prosperity was no indication of their spiritual prosperity. They were materially blessed and they were spiritually impoverished. You can be both. You can be wealthy. You can have status. You can be important. You can have the job you always dreamed of. You can be rich and poor at the same time. How many of y'all understand? You can be relatively poor and still be rich in Jesus, in relationships, in happiness, in peace, in joy, right? Stuff that no dollar amount can buy. And you can have the nicest house in your neighbor. Come on. You can drive the best car, have 15 swimming pools and a jacuzzi, and have a retirement account that'll leave you comfortable the rest of your life and have everything you want, but nothing you need. And here's what Amos says. I don't care about all that. 
God will feed me. God brought food from raven's mouths to drop them off to Elijah. God took a woman's cruise of oil and barrel of meal and multiplied it day in and day out. This woman had nothing living in a drought, and God saw fit to take care of me. How about this? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. He takes care of people. And i got to be honest with you guys, sometimes I look at our affluency, and it is not our greatest character trait. Affluency should produce sacrifice and generosity, but affluency for some of us has produced an absolute very high level of selfishness. I mean, just look at your giving. There's a good place to start. I'm so affluent. And guys, look, don't, don't, let's not act like we're not affluent. We're all affluent. I am sick affluent. Like sickening affluent. I mean, I got five kids, so I'm really poor. But I mean, like generally speaking, generally speaking, you know what I mean. All you got to do is do one quick comparison to the vast majority of this world. And you will realize, even if you feel like you're struggling along, you, you need to probably go somewhere where people are really struggling along. I remember going to El Salvador for the first time. I remember driving through with the missionary in El Salvador. I was going to teach in a college there. And the, the city dump in Quejutapeque, uh, El Salvador, was right in the middle of the city. And, and for me, just driving by it, the stench was almost so overwhelming. I almost threw up right in the, right in the center of town. But what made me gag even worse was when I looked into the city dump and I saw all those kids crawling around in the trash bags with their mothers looking for, you've never done that, friend, unless you self-impose that. Is anybody with me today? Y'all good? Everybody good? I think we love comforts more than we love Jesus. You realize in 1863, I think it was, the first missionary force was sent out from the United States of America to go across to India to meet who was already there, a man by the name of William Carey, a famous missionary. The first missionary force from America to uh, India came from New England, the leader of that group was a man by the name of Adoniram Judson. I don't believe he was the first missionary, he was the first known missionary. I believe the first missionary was a guy named George Lyle from Georgia, who actually was a slave who gave his life to the people of Haiti in a fascinating story. But Adoniram Judson, most people have heard of Adoniram Judson. Adoniram Judson wrote a letter to his future father-in-law regarding the prospect of taking his daughter to be a missionary. This is what he said in the letter, I quote, I am asking you whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world. Whether you can consent to her departure for a heathen land with her subjection to hardships, suffering of a missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, 
the fatal influence of the southern climate of India and to every kind of distress, degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps even death. Would you be willing to do this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home, died for her and for you, for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God? Can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with a crown of righteousness? He said yes. They went. Suffering in 108 degree temperatures with malaria, dysentria, many other unknown miseries. Half their children died. She herself died. It's another world, man. It's another way of thinking. But to be honest with you, I think it's so much closer to where we should be than where we are. Amos teaches us about giving our lives for the things that really matter. Jesus Christ and the gospel matter. Our lives being given to it completely really, really matter. And may God help us to live that way committed to his cause. Let's pray together. Jesus Christ is the son of the living God who's worthy of all our praise. You may be here today and you do not know him as your Lord and Savior. Can I say this very quickly to you? Every other religion in the world is about do. What can you do to get to heaven? Christianity is about done. What did Jesus do to get you to heaven? Now, friend, if you get to heaven, it's not going to be because you earn it, because you're good enough to get it. If you ever get to heaven, it's going to be because you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. He is the Son of God. He died on the cross. He shed his blood, and then he rose again from the dead. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through him. And he calls you and me today to believe that. And to call upon his name as an expression of faith. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I wonder today if there's anybody here that would say, preacher, man, I need to do that. Oh my. I do not know about my relationship with God. I've heard about Jesus. I did church when I was a kid. But I've never entered into the personal relationship with God like you just described. I might know familiar things about the Bible. I may know God generally, but I've never, I've never personally accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior and became his disciple. Well, let me encourage you. Today, I want to invite you to do that. All across this room, I'm going to give you a chance to do what the Bible clearly says you should do. And that is, believe and call upon his name. If today you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven and you believe that he is the son of God, died on a cross and rose from the dead, and you believe that he is your only savior, then I'm going to invite you right now to personally ask him to be your savior. You can do it right there in your seat. You can do it quietly. You can pray out loud. Whatever you're comfortable with. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a prayer. A, a prayer that you can repeat to God 
You may not feel comfortable talking to God. That's okay. But if you just breathe these words out by faith and you, you call upon the name of the Lord, he has promised he will save you. So right now, if you're here and you want to do that, would you just in your heart or in your mouth, in your words, repeat these words after me? Dear Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. I cannot save myself. But I believe in Jesus. I believe he died. He was buried. And he rose again. Today, I accept him as my Savior. Thank you for loving me. Help me not to be ashamed of you. 